Good morning. As Lloyd said earlier, I'm John Hanna, and I serve as one of the elders here at Alliance. And this year, we as a church body have been focusing on growing in community. Our summer series is called Life Together that we've been looking at this summer. And it's one aspect of that emphasis this year of thinking about and trying to grow more together as a community of believers. And we want to grow in how we live as a community of God's people for the purpose of God's mission. Let me direct your attention to the ABF mission statement, which says, We are called by the grace of God for the glory of God to become and multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is another way of saying a disciple. And I will be using those terms interchangeably during my sermon today. Our primary mission here at Alliance is to become disciples and to make disciples. And we do this by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And so today we're going to focus our attention and look at what does it mean to be a disciple. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there, or if you have an electronic device that has a Bible on it, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. It will also be on the screen in just a moment. But we will use Luke 5 as a jumping off point today. And as we get into Luke chapter 5, I want to give you some introduction or some background to the gospel according to Luke. Luke is the third book listed in the New Testament. This gospel account is the first of two volumes written by Luke. The second volume is the book of Acts. And Luke's purpose in writing the gospel is to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke writes this account to encourage Theophilus that he might have certainty regarding what he has been taught about Jesus. Now we know very little about Theophilus other than he was an official or someone of high social standing. And Luke's main interest or focus of this gospel account is the presentation of God's salvation as revealed in Jesus Christ. Luke's original audience that he was writing to is a Gentile audience. And Luke communicates how Jesus is the Savior for the entire world, both for Jews and for Gentiles. Luke especially focuses on the fact Um, that salvation is offered to all people, regardless of your ethnicity or nationality, your social class, your gender, or your age. And for us, living in the United States in the year 2014, this may not seem like such a radical idea that salvation is offered to all. But in Jesus' day, this was earth-shattering. In Luke's gospel account, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Women become full participants in God's salvation. And even children are welcomed by Jesus. Luke's story is about the offer of salvation to those who are on the outside, to those marginalized by society. If you've ever felt marginalized or on the outside, The Gospel of Luke is a great one for you to read. Now, as we look at Luke chapter 5, we pick up the story very early in Jesus' ministry. We see in chapter 4, verse 14, 
that Jesus has just returned from being tempted in the wilderness. And it says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, although Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, people in many other places are amazed and impressed by his miracles and his teaching. And so they begin to seek after him and follow him wherever he goes. And we jump into that part of the story in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So from this passage today, uh, we're going to see two uh, important things, two main points that I want to emphasize. One is, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? And secondly, how do we become fully devoted followers or fully devoted disciples? Now, in our passage this morning, the crowd, as we saw, wants to be near Jesus. They are pressing in on him because they want to hear the word of God. And Jesus, seeing two boats nearby, gets in Simon's boat and asks Simon to put out a little ways from land. It says the location is the Lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And so Simon and his partners are fishermen, And they had left their boats on the shore in order that they could clean the nets. And But Jesus, by getting into the boat and putting a little out from land, he's able to keep from being pressed in upon by the crowd. And he also allows the water, which is between him and the people, to act as a natural amplification system so that he could better be heard. So Jesus Jesus finishes his teaching, and he tells Simon, Simon, it's time to go fishing. Have you ever been asked to do something in which you had failed to accomplish? Have you ever been asked to do something which you didn't want to do? We see here from Simon's response that something's not exactly right. You see, in fact, Simon and his partners had fished all night. And actually, it says they had toiled all night. 
Meaning it wasn't a pleasant experience. And they actually returned with nothing to show for their effort. So after a long, hard night where they caught nothing, Jesus tells Simon, go fishing again. Now let me take an aside here. And I would like for you to imagine this scene. Picture this scene in your mind. Here is Jesus saying, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It sounds kind of like a carpenter telling a fisherman how to do his job. And as you imagine this scene, what might have gone through Simon's mind? He's the professional fisherman. Simon could have come up with multiple reasons why he shouldn't go fishing. Here are some possible responses that Simon could have made to Jesus about why not to go fishing. The first one, he could have said, I'm tired, Jesus. I need to get some sleep after a long, hard night of work. He also could have said, Jesus, we just finished cleaning the nets to be ready for later. We don't want to get them dirty again now. Or third, he could have said, Jesus, we're going to be fishing at the wrong time. You see, it was common practice in this day to fish at night, not during the daytime. Or Simon could have said, Jesus, going out into the deep is not the right place to fish. Because you see, it was also common practice for this day that they would fish in the shallows and not in the deep. And so by Jesus saying to Simon to put out into the deep during the day, in the mind of a professional fisherman, Jesus is saying, I want you to go fish at the wrong time and the wrong place. But thankfully, Simon didn't make any of those responses. In spite of some good reasons that he could have used not to go fishing, Simon instead chooses to listen. He chooses to listen and to obey. And so one thing that we see about what a disciple is, a disciple is someone who wants to listen to Jesus and obey what he says. Simon didn't make excuses. What excuses could you give or do you give in order not to obey Jesus? Are there areas of your life where you currently are not obeying Jesus? Let's continue to look at the passage in verse 6, where it says, When they had done this, meaning when they had let down the nets, immediately there were so many fish that the nets were breaking. This is an amazing catch of fish. With such a great catch, they called to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And so the other boat comes to help. And yet, there are so many fish that both boats began to sink. So here we have, after a night where these professional fishermen had toiled and caught nothing, when Jesus tells you to go fishing, they are overwhelmed by the fish. And Simon responds to what happens by falling down at Jesus' knees. And he says, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now we get some explanation in verses 9 and 10 that all of those who see this are astonished. Those in the boat with Jesus, as well as those in Simon's partner's boat, James and John. Why such the strong reaction from Simon? Simon and his partners are professional fishermen. Surely they would have seen many things on the sea and been involved in big catches of fish. And yet, something about this catch makes professional fishermen astonished. You see, this is not an ordinary or humanly explainable event. Simon recognizes that only divine action could be responsible for this catch of fish. In the midst of such closeness to divine action, Simon is very much aware of his sinfulness. Thus, he asked Jesus to depart, knowing that sin cannot remain in the presence of the holy God. This is indeed not a carpenter telling a professional fisherman how to fish. This is God in the flesh making fish jump into the nets so that they begin to break. And Simon recognizes that what happened with this catch of fish can only be explained by that fact of divine authority and power. We also see in verse 8 that Luke uses both names, Simon and Peter, in this part of his account. Later on in Luke, uh, in chapter 9, Simon will confess that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one. And we see in a parallel passage in the gospel according to Matthew uh, what happens at this event where Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. And so let's look at that parallel passage in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon Simon's confession of Jesus as the Christ, or God's anointed one, Jesus states that on that confession, he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe in our Luke chapter 5 passage, that Luke uses both Simon and Peter together at this part of the, the account because he is associating Simon's confession to Jesus here in Luke 5 with a miraculous catch of fish to Simon's future confession in Luke chapter 9 where Simon will state that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. The confession in Luke 5 verse 8 brings to mind the later deeper confession that Simon will make about Jesus' identity. 
Now, Jesus responds to Peter's confession with words that are most often used or spoken by God or God's messengers when speaking to people. Do not be afraid. You see, Simon is rightly attributing the catch of fish to the divine authority and intervention. He knows that something is present to him that is not of this world. And Jesus reinterprets for Simon how he should understand and respond to this event. You see, this just isn't just an amazing fishing trip with a great catch of fish. This becomes an invitation for Simon to become a disciple or follower of Jesus. This decision reshapes all of Simon's priorities and loyalties. And so the second thing that we see about what it means to be a disciple... A disciple is someone who is loyal to Jesus above all else. Being a disciple changes loyalties. Being a disciple means that your loyalty is to Jesus above all. And for the first disciples, their loyalty to Jesus came into conflict with many of their traditional loyalties. And I want to point out four ways in which this was true for the first disciples. First, loyalty to Jesus calls distinction from traditional leaders. And let's look at Luke 5, uh, later in the chapter, verses 29 to 30. Uh, Jesus has just called Levi, who's a tax collector, uh, to become one of his disciples. And so Levi holds a dinner in his home. And we see in Luke 5, 29, Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day would never eat with tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus regularly associates with tax collectors sinners, and the marginalized of society. Jesus calls the disciples to listen to him and his teaching before and instead of what the religious leaders of his day taught. Second, we see that loyalty to Jesus calls distinction from family. Let's look at Luke 8, 19-21. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus says that following him redefines the priority of family. Now, this is a radical statement for Jesus to make because in first century Judaism, the time when Jesus was on earth, the family was the most important religious, social, and political structure in the Jewish culture. And Jesus is saying that loyalty to him should take precedence over even the most important and valuable area of your life. 
So let me expound a little bit and clarify what distinction from family does and does not mean. It does not mean that we should neglect our families or not take care of our families. We see in 1 Timothy 5.8, which says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So distinction from family does not mean that we neglect our families. Distinction from family also does not mean that husbands or wives or children can treat their family members in ways contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. We see in Ephesians 5 and 6, where the Apostle Paul gives that household code that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives are told to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And children are told to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Loyalty to Jesus doesn't mean that we neglect our families or treat them in ways contrary to, to Scripture. But it means that we should love Jesus even more than we love our families. If our families encourage us to not follow or obey Jesus, we must choose loyalty to Jesus over our families. The third thing that we see for the first disciples about loyalty to Jesus is that it caused distinction from country. Now again, for first century Jews, the Torah, which is how they reference the law of God, and the temple where they worship God, and the land of Israel that God had given to them, those were the most important symbols of their nation and its existence. And yet in Luke 6, verses 1 through 5, we see an example of Jesus going against the perceived understanding of the Torah related to keeping the Sabbath. On a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We see here that Jesus and his disciples are accused of breaking the Sabbath by picking grain to eat. They were hungry and walking through the grain fields and decided to pick some and rub it in their hands and eat it in order to sustain them. And Jesus justifies what his disciples have done by recalling this story from the Old Testament. A story about David and his men out of 1 Samuel 21 where they eat the consecrated bread in the temple. And in Luke 6, verse 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the son of the man is Lord of the Sabbath. Someone is greater here than the Sabbath. Another example of this 
It's in the gospel according to John, John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, where Jesus cleanses the temple. I'm not going to read that for us. But in that story, Jesus comes into the temple and he makes a whip of cords and he drives the money changers and those who are selling animals out of the temple. He overturns their tables and pours out their coins because they had made the temple into a house of trade. And when Jesus did this in John chapter 2, the, the Jews asked him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? What the Jews were asking is, by what authority do you claim, Jesus, to be able to reform the temple? And Jesus responds with this cryptic saying, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews at that time get sidetracked by, this temple took 40 years to build. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? But upon Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples remembered what Jesus had said and believed the word that Jesus had spoken. After Jesus' resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit, there is no more need for a physical temple. People no longer have to go to Samaria or Jerusalem to worship God, but true worshipers now worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus says that he is more important than the very foundations of Jewish life and culture. More important than the Torah and the temple and the land. Now for us today, living in the 21st century, how does Jesus call us to be more committed to him? And I'm not trying to step on toes here. I'm trying to speak some truth to you. How does he call us to be more committed to him than to political parties, a way of life, or the cultural values of our own country? The fourth way that loyalty to Jesus caused conflict with traditional loyalties was in distinction from possessions. We see in Luke 16, verse 13, where it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There can only be one thing that sits on the throne of our heart. And God will not share that place with anything or anyone else. Another example about distinction from possessions is in the story of Luke 18, 18 to 30, the story of the rich ruler. Jesus sees that this man's possessions are keeping him from being fully devoted to God. And so Jesus calls this man to sell his possessions, give it to the poor, and follow him. But it says that this man went away sad. He was not willing to be more loyal to Jesus than his own possessions. So we see that being loyal to Jesus means that Jesus 
has to be more important to us than our own religious system, our own family, our country, and our possessions. We have to put everything, everything in our life under Jesus' direction and dictate. Now that we have looked at a couple aspects of what it means to be a disciple or follower of Jesus, I want to turn our attention on how we become a fully devoted disciple. There is much that could be said about this, but I want to focus on two things this morning. First, you become a fully devoted disciple by denying, taking up, and following. We see in Luke 9, verses 23 to 24, which will be on the screen, Jesus said, Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now to not deny oneself means to, to deny or give up personal control of your life. To take up your cross means to make a commitment that will lead to rejection by the world and possibly even death. And to follow me means to follow the example and teaching of Jesus. And we see in our Luke 5 passage that the disciples there left everything and followed him. If we place more value on, or loyalty on anything other than Jesus, we cannot be a fully devoted follower. You see, the reality is that we become like the things we worship. We become like the things to which we give our loyalty. Let's look at Psalm 115 to illustrate what I'm talking about. In Psalm 115, 1 through 8, the psalmist says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, and noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Now today, most people do not have physical idols or statues that we make and bow down to, like what is described in Psalm 115. But we're still very good at making idols in our hearts. Things like the desire for wealth or luxury or fame or security or pleasure, a good reputation, or maybe the expectation for God to make your life easy and comfortable. These are some examples of idols that we can make today. And yet, just like idols made of silver and gold, 
Our modern-day idols cannot save us, and we will become like them. One author states it this way, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What do you revere today? Where are your loyalties? Is there any part of your life that you are withholding loyalty to Jesus? The second thing that I want to share regarding how to become a fully devoted disciple is something called the discipleship cycle. This is a very helpful tool or process. It's a process that we see Jesus using in his ministry and teaching with the first disciples. There are three steps or parts of this process. The first is where we hear the word of God. This can be any way that God speaks to us. It can be while we're reading or memorizing scripture. It can be something that God says to us during prayer. It can be something that we hear during a sermon or Bible study, etc. Secondly, in this process, we respond actively. This is obedience. We don't just hear the word, but we act on what we have heard. Choosing to make what we have heard part of our life and thinking. And then thirdly, we debrief or interpret what happened. This is where we ask questions like, what happened? What am I learning? What is God inviting me to do next? So think about this discipleship image or process in our Luke 5 passage. We can see the discipleship cycle in that passage. Simon hears the word of Jesus. That word was to push out into the deep and let down the nets. Simon responds actively by obeying. The result of Simon's response is a miraculous catch of fish. And when Simon asks Jesus to depart, but... Jesus reinterprets or debriefs that experience with Simon by telling Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So Simon goes from being a professional fisherman to being a fisher of men. This discipleship cycle process is illustrated over and over throughout Jesus' ministry in the gospel accounts. And living out this discipleship cycle will help us become more aware of God's movement in our life and help us be transformed into fully devoted disciples. This keeps us from merely hearing the word, but rather we become men and women who take in the word and allow it to shape our character and our actions. And only God knows how much of an impact he can have on your family and your neighbor's on this church body, our community, and the world as we become fully devoted followers of Christ. And I pray that this may be true of us here at Alliance.
I want to invite each of you individually to examine your life today. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, I want to address you for a moment. We are glad that you're here with us. Will you take some time to consider your relationship to God? Apart from Christ, you are separated from God and unable to live for the purpose in which you were created. Christ invites you to come to him and live life abundantly. And I invite you to engage in a process like this cycle. Spend time this week reading one of the Gospels and responding actively to it. Ask a Christian whom you trust to help you debrief and interpret what you read. And then repeat the process. But for most of us here today, we are already followers of Christ. I want to address you as well. How are you doing in terms of becoming fully devoted to Jesus? Are there areas of your life or places in your heart that are not fully loyal to him? How can you practice the discipleship cycle this week? Prioritize time to hear the word, respond obediently, and then debrief what happens. So instead of singing a closing song today, we're going to close our service by reflecting and praying. I'm going to give us uh, three or four minutes to sit quietly with the Lord. The worship team is going to be playing some instrumental music. And I want you to take these minutes to ask the Lord to make clear what he is saying to you, either from the Luke 5 passage or this sermon or maybe something else that you have heard recently from him. I want to give you time to listen to the Lord's word and then respond in your heart to any invitations that he is giving you today. And then after the service, today or maybe later this week, I would encourage you to share this with a friend or with a member from your life group, and ask them to help you debrief what's going on. After this time of reflection, I'll come back up and close us in prayer.